Monday, June 11th. Welcome to Market Fuller. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Inside Value, Joe Mager, and from Motley Fool Pro and from Motley Fool Options, Jeff Fisher and Brian Hinman. Gentlemen, happy Monday. Chris. Happy hey, Monday. Chris. Good to be back in the studio. We are going to get into the health benefits of drinking coffee, the economic benefits of driving a hybrid, but we're going to start with the exciting world of bonds. <laughs> Uh, I know we focus on stocks, but it, it's worth getting into bonds today. Uh, the yield on bonds around the world have fallen to record lows, uh, but there is no cause for panic, Joe. So says Mohammed El Irian, the CEO of PIMCO. PIMCO oversees nearly $1.8 trillion in assets, including the largest bond fund in the world. Uh, El Irian says we may be in a slowdown, but he dismissed talk of a bond bubble. Do you agree with him? No. <laughs> uh, from 1871 through this past year, we've never had a 30-year rolling period where bonds beat stocks. And that changed from 1981 to 2011. Reason is, yields were incredibly high in the early 80s, and demand for bonds and safety has gotten incredibly high today. And so you've seen those scales kind of tip opposite ways. If history is any guide, and I think it is, especially with rates where they are, with the 10-year Treasury hit an all-time low two weeks ago, 1.4%. Uh, that's less than what you get on long-term inflation. That's basically a negative real rate of return. And you compare that to what stocks have done over a long time horizon. And I think right now, looking ahead 30 years, that stocks are just an incredible buy today. Um, Jeff. Says the guy talking his book. You know, I'm trashing this guy for talking. Book, well, I but. mean, he, uh, sure, he's he's talking about bonds because that's his business, and that and that's totally legit. But you know, it's it's legit for us to talk up stocks as our business. Uh, Jeff, a couple of uh, country bonds to to hit you with. Germany's two year note yield fell below zero on June first. Switzerland has been negative since April twenty first, which means that investors are paying for the right to lend the nation money. I'm not a bond investor, but that that really seems like an. It's un- very patriotic, though. <laughs> it's yeah. very patriotic. I'll offer that yield if anyone's interested. By the way, <laughs> below zero percent. Yeah. Sure. Um, no, you, I won't take that. What do you make? What's of all happening? There is so much money out there. First of all, the bond market, as we all know, is enormous compared to the stock market. It's funny that the stock market gets all the attention because it's more exciting and more easily understood. But the bond market dwarfs it by a magnitude, and all this money out there, institutional money. Uh, federal money has to go somewhere, and it goes into bonds because it's a secure, stable spot. So they don't care, actually, if they're getting a return or not. They're just trying to put the money somewhere safe for the time being. That's that's really what's driving this right now. It's fear, and that's why people are buying German bonds. They're moving their money out of Spain, where they fear a complete loss or some magnitude of loss into a, a German bond. Well, and Joe, I mean, on that note, it, Jeff's making the point about fear. I mean, you could make the argument, and some have made the argument, that this isn't a bubble because what fuels bubbles traditionally is greed. And this isn't be really being fueled by greed. It's being fueled by fear. Yeah. Well, you could say, well, that's true. It's working in the opposite direction. But you could say it's greed for safety or security. And right now, people are paying an irrational price for it. They're accepting negative returns <laughs> in order to have security, which is just remarkable. And I really think that in 10 years, we're going to look back on that and just say, wow, I can't believe people were doing that when they could have gone out and bought any number of high-quality stocks paying juicy dividends and just held them and blew away those returns. Yeah, I, I agree with that, with Joe's point there about returns. If contrasting stocks versus bonds, there's no question where we would go, whether we have self-interest or not. But I also do think bond rates could stay below 2% uh, 
for a good 10 years or longer as they have in Japan since the mid-90s. So if you are uh, listening to this conversation, you're looking at your portfolio and thinking, okay, I actually do want to uh, get into stocks. Is it you know, should people be looking at something basic like uh, an S&P 500 index or the Dow index? Or is there is there a particular stock, Jeff, that you think, again, with the time horizon, because we are talking, I mean, when you're looking like 10, 20, 30 years out, factoring in, you know, the, the how did you put it, Joe, the juicy fat dividend? Yeah. <laughs> My editors always take juicy out when I write, but when we're on the show, I can use it. Don't they like juicy fruit? They don't like anything. Come on. Come. Hopefully, none of our editors, or just, none of your editors, are listening to this. I'm trying to buy time, you guys. So keep chatting, <laughs> Chris. You're asking for a stock idea. Well, just I mean, in the some, next. Some, it, if the answer is you're going to buy it and hold it for ten years or longer, it's a different stock. If it's the next three years, it'd be something else. I'm thinking you're looking at a stock, and you're if if your mindset initially was I'm going to hold this bond for ten to thirty years, mm. and now. Now your mindset is, wow, I'm actually looking now for a stock that I think is just going to outperform what is probably not going to be a great performing bond over oh, the next man. 10 years. Oh, man. There are so many great high-quality companies paying a yield far above bonds right now. J&J is 3.5%. Uh, McDonald's is nearly 4%. So things like that that you could buy. And the yield alone would top bonds. And then you're going to get appreciation most likely, too. Joe, you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I'm a shameless pumper of many stocks on this show. <laughs> that most you of own. Which I own. Um, but I think, you know, an alternative is you could just invest in an index fund with the S&P 500. We don't really talk about that often on the show, but the yield on that right now is 23 2.4%. It's more than half a percentage point than what you get on a 10-year treasury, and that's probably going to grow over time. So it's a very easy way to invest in something that's instantly diverse. You get a nice return. Don't have to think about it. Uh, speaking of McDonald's, which Jeff mentioned, uh, drinking three cups of coffee a day could help prevent the onset of Alzheimer's disease in older adults. This is according to a new survey published in the Journal of Alzheimer's Disease. Brian Hinman, I'll start with you. This seems like on the surface. First of all, <laughs> why are we starting with Brian? Brian's a, Brian, you're an old guy. <laughs> you go ahead. I'm an old soul. Uh, he does have an old soul. Um, we've seen health studies before related to any number of products, but certainly when it comes to coffee, this seems on the surface to be inherently good news for the likes of McDonald's, Starbucks, Dunkin' Donuts. Coffee, Green, coffee drinkers? Yeah, Green Mountains and coffee drinkers like myself. Yeah, I mean, the, the study, very quickly, we were talking about it earlier, uh, the results were pretty astounding, right? We're talking uh, st- statistically significant when it's 100% improvement versus yep. 0%. Uh, that's pretty remarkable. And that comes on the back of uh, a study that was re- released not too long ago that basically said the more coffee you drink, the longer you live. So basically, you mush these Chris two. Chris will live forever. <laughs> you mush I, the- I am immortal. <laughs> Mush these two studies together, and the more coffee you drink, the longer you will live and the more of it you will remember. So that sounds like pretty good calculus to me for uh, anyone who is a purveyor of coffee. Uh, Jeff, does this – I mean, whether you think this is good news for your product or not, if you are Starbucks, what are you doing with this information? Are you playing this up or are you just sort of holding it in your back pocket because it's not its not a prime marketing message for I you? I don't know. You know, you need to be careful because the next study could come out and say that coffee is bad for you as, as studies did come out as recently as a few years ago saying as much. That's heresy though. It is. It is heresy. But <laughs> – no, so seriously, I don't. I don't think they want to point to this anymore. That it, than they would point to a, a negative study. 
Yeah, of, we all know that Starbucks is just going to respond by going out and making a non-core acquisition. No. <laughs> Um, is this, uh, you know, if if this is good news for the coffee companies, is it bad news for anyone? Is this, um, is this, I don't know, bad I mean, news? Green for, tea, green tea, it, or it, it might be bad news for me in a way. Wow. <laughs> I, I did the. Tw- I don't own shares uh, of you, but go on. <laughs> I did the twenty three and Me dot com DNA analysis a couple of years ago. You guys have talked about it on we the show. We have talked about it. Yeah, Joe's getting ready to do that. Or you, no, we you should compare did. our genes. We should. We Maybe we're related. Oh. Um, I feel out of place right now. But my, uh, my it, one thing that shows you is your caffeine metabolism, uh-huh. and and mainly it's a liver enzyme that metabolizes caffeine. And if you do not metabolize caffeine efficiently, then caffeine can be bad for you. It can actually increase your risk of heart attack. And so I'm about eighty percent decaf when I drink coffee. I usually eight out of ten times I make it decaf because I have this. I slowly metabolize caffeine, and that increases my risk of heart attack. So listeners should know. Despite the study, I mean, don't drink coffee endlessly. Yeah. It, may, it may not benefit you. I think this, it's important to say that the Alzheimer's study was a direct comment on the impact of caffeine. But the other study that I mentioned had nothing to do with caffeine. They actually performed the same study with uh, decaffeinated coffee. And it was the other antioxidants mm-hmm. uh, and compounds in coffee that led or, or that the results actually held up were consistent with caffeinated coffee. Oh, that's good to know. Yeah, so I really don't think this is a... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't read I the study. I don't think this is a, a big deal that Starbucks or Dunkin' Donuts need to make a big deal out of this. Consumers are going to uh, hear what they want to hear, uh, and this is pretty compelling uh, insight into anyone uh, for anyone who drinks coffee mm-hmm. to uh, continue to drink coffee, but you know maybe even go from a grande to a venti, that sort of thing. Uh, and the other reason that this is, I think, newsworthy and noteworthy uh, and, and a good boost for these coffee purveyors uh, is because people, <laughs> people are inherently lazy. And they want, to, they want to get the health benefits of things uh, that are easy for them to achieve. Chris, it's why you own a shake weight. Right? <laughs> I do not own a shake weight. But it is why I drink is, so much coffee. Yeah. So if the if the per- I'm not answering that. <laughs> Come on, Jeff Fisher. You don't you don't watch late night infomercials? No, I do not. We'll sh- we'll pull it up on YouTube after the show. <laughs> Finish up, Ryan. <laughs> uh, I, my train of thought is gone now. Uh, no, if, if, it's the perception of uh, coffee being healthy as opposed to coffee being unhealthy that's going to lead people to make one more marginal you know purchases on the margin of yeah. coffee. Mm. It's, this is not going to cause a mad rush. Uh, you know, to coffee houses everywhere, but it is on the margin going to be a benefit. And, uh, you know, these companies are, you know, they're priced to perform really well. So anything that can get a marginal cup of coffee out of, out of it is, uh, is, a, is a good thing for them. Uh, the Los Angeles Times over the weekend had an in-depth article examining the cost-benefit analysis of owning a hybrid vehicle. Uh, they tested hybrids uh, from Ford, Toyota, um, and the basic question, Jeff, was do the savings that a consumer would get at the gas pump make up for the higher sticker price? And it seems like uh, the answer is maybe that, mm-hmm. you know, if you're if, Ooh, if you're in the city, <laughs> if you're in the city, maybe there's a better chance. But if, you know, if you're not in a major city, you're not really going to get the benefits. What did you, I mean, you saw the article. What did you make of it? I did see this article. <laughs> Uh, what I made of it is it, it's it's a lot of qualifications, as you just said, Chris. If you drive in the city a lot, 
then it probably will pay for itself. But even then, we do have a, a Prius, and we were just told by to- Toyota we weren't getting the mileage we expected in the city. Mm-hmm. And that was because most of our, our rides were 10, 15 minutes. And they said you need to be going about half an hour for the efficiencies to really all kick in. And that you just contradicts- need to move further away. <laughs> yeah, and yeah that, that contradicts everything that you would want from a, a hybrid. So I'm, I'm not so sold on, on it for that reason either. But the, the bigger question is, for people who can afford a hybrid, are they buying it to save money or are they buying it to hopefully help the environment? Hopefully it does. The feel-good factor. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, and you, do, you, feel, you fill up much less frequently at, at the pump, and there are benefits to that that uh, right off the top of my head, you're, you're exposed to fewer cancer-causing fumes. Okay, You have fewer chances of getting shot. Uh, <laughs> Where are you filling up your, DC, your car? DC, <laughs> snipers. Remember, that wasn't that long ago, the sniper. Well, fortunately, it was that <laughs> Any, long ago. Anyway, to get back on a serious track, uh, it, it, the study kind of bothered me because it, it, it seemed to have an agenda where it was trying to set out to show that these hybrid vehicles don't have much benefit. Although, in my own experience, the past three years, they certainly do. We're spending less on gas. Another benefit that it's had is, uh, you know, it has spurred... Uh, Incredible advancements in fuel efficiency in non-hybrid cars, yeah. uh, and that's it's one of one of the reasons we uh, there was a news story uh, last year I think that uh, just showed that the popularity the sales numbers for hybrid cars were way down, uh, and it was attributed almost entirely to improved fuel economies uh, in traditional you know regular automobiles because the 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 they were so much more cost effective. Well, uh, yeah, Joe, I was going to say. I mean, you, you you look at this category. It, I mean, it is a niche. We're talking about somewhere in the neighborhood of three percent of new auto sales uh, come, you know, from the hybrid space. One of my thoughts reading this article was this: essentially, you know, this being true that the further away from a city you are, the further you are away from getting those benefits at the pump. It seems like this was almost ensuring that this would be a niche category, particularly in the wake of you know, what Brian said about improved fuel efficiency overall. Is, is that your sense? Yeah, I think that cost discrepancy is going to shrink over time as the technology gets better. But yeah, you're paying a lot more upfront to get that value over a long time horizon. And you know, for a lot of people, I'm not sure that it makes sense. I will say, though, as a GM shareholder, that if anyone's thinking about getting one, I recommend looking at the Chevy Bolt because <laughs> no one else is. I think it's remarkable. The longer you own the car, of course, Chris, you, you said this, I think, the longer you own it, the more your benefits. And 95% of Toyota Priuses sold since 2000 are still on the road, according to this study. So I, I was, I'm really surprised by that number. It's 12 years, and almost all the cars are still out there. And... Uh, Three percent of all new cars are now hybrids. There are thirty-six hybrid models rolling out in this this coming year. So there, I think what they're going to prove to be in in the eyes of history is kind of a a good stopgap or a filler between the old just fuel cars and whatever is next. But they're not the answer. I was just going to say. So in terms of the the proverbial car of the future, is it does it look more like a hybrid or is it more to to Brian's point, Joe? Is it more like a radically improved, fuel-efficient sort of standard car as we think about it today. Yeah, I think the latter is going to outperform on sales for a long time, and you're always going to have some sort of new technology pushing the envelope, and you're going to see manufacturers come back and try and make the existing cars and frameworks and models they've got cheaper, lighter, uh, working towards greater efficiency. But you will see more hybrids over time. I don't think we're going to see the radical change that people are hoping for or looking for. You know, I know one that's tossed around the office a lot is natural gas, mm-hmm. uh, but that's a big 
big leap away from where we're at today. And just to put it all in context, you know, 3% of cars are hybrids today. Well, hybrids are much closer to your standard car than, you know, a CNG model. So it's just something to think about if you're banking on compressed natural gas being a fuel. So just to wrap up on stocks, because if you're an investor and you're looking at this, I mean, you, you could have, uh, as recently as just a few months ago, um, looked at hybrids, looked at the growth over the last couple of years and said, well, it's a, it's a niche now, Jeff. It's 3% now, but it, that's going to grow. And so maybe a stock like Toyota or, you know, or Ford or, you know, to Joe's point, GM, you know, that could factor into your thesis, hybrids being a significant growth. If you don't think it's going to be a significant growth, what's the investing play? Is it more sort of on the traditional uh, oil and gas companies or, or is it, you know, uh, to Brian's point, is it more sort of on the the innovation side, where you've got some company like a Westport Innovation that's working on the internal you know parts of the car? Yeah, even if you if you do think hybrids will grow a lot, it, it doesn't mean it would result in a, in a strong return for these car companies who are putting so much money into research and development. So I think you have to go outside the box and look to something that uh, supplies a part on the car, or as you said, maybe it's Westport supplying a part to the engines. Yep. But there's no guarantee that Westport has the answer, the long-term answer either. So it's it's really an, an area in flux. Brian, I, I think another another area you can take this is you can say you know if you look at the cars on the road, the average age of vehicle uh, is higher uh, than it's than it's ever been, right? So that would either prompt people into going out and buying one of these new great cars. So if you look at a uh, if you look at the automakers out there that have uh, the most bang for your buck, not necessarily. Uh, you know, one of the, the the fancy new hybrids, but most bang for your buck. Or you say, okay, this this whole industry is still in an amazing uh, uh, point of flux. Maybe people are going to hold on to their existing cars even longer and wait to see how this plays out. So then you have companies like Advanced Auto Parts or AutoZone or something like that uh, that plays into the repairing of uh, the aging vehicle fleet. Joe, you get the last word. Yeah, I like that one. <laughs> no, I like so what Brian said. Putting. Just going to piggyback on Brian? Yeah. <laughs> well, in there, Joe Mager, Brian Hinman, Jeff Fisher. Guys, thanks for being here. Thank you. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. Ladies, when you put on that sleeveless dress, what's the first thing that sticks out? Our arms are the problem area that we never seem to be able to find the solution for until now. With the Shake Weight. Shake Weight is the flab-busting breakthrough that trims your okay, arms Jeff, and shapes your shoulders I, at the I still same can't time. Picture it. I, Don't worry, we're going to send you the video. Back Don't watch forth. it at the office. There's no motor, no batteries, and you get Thanks, the results Mac. you want. Now you can wear the dress styles you want. The chic blouses that show off your arms, even those cute t-shirts that make casual look just a little sexy.